Welcome to our Portuguese Table Podcast. I'm Maria Lott, and these are in Green Bean. And I'm Angela Samoz, and we're just two chicks dishing about Portuguese food, culture, and what it means to be Portuguese. So grab a glass of vinho or um copo de café and join us as we talk about our favorite foods, reminisce about growing up Portuguese, and interview some of our community's most successful chefs and food writers. So, so sit, sit down, down at our Portuguese, Portuguese table. table. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Our Portuguese Table. I'm Angela Samoz, and we have Maria, the Azorian Green Bean. Hi, Maria. Hi, Angela. How are you, honey? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm really well, and I'm really excited about today's podcast. We have an amazing, yes. amazing guest. We do. We have David Late from Late's Culinaria. To our listeners, if you have not gone to latesculinaria.com, you have to go there right now because it Absolutely. is a fabulous, well, not, fabulous website. Not at this very moment. First, well, you're going to listen yeah. to what we have to say. <laughs> right, right, right. But, um, well, come on in, David. Say hello to everybody. Hi, Angela. Hi, Maria. How are you? Hi, hon. So, David, I have to say, I know we've known each other for a long time, but I'm actually, I have a little bit of... Uh, what do they call it uh, when you get starstruck a little bit and you're kind of nervous <laughs> uh-huh. because you've done so much. I mean, I was reading your bio and, you know, I always knew that you had done a, a ton, but oh my gosh, all the awards that you've won, the, the awards that you, that the book won, the new Portuguese table, your yeah. writing, you have people like you have a whole staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, we were, we're so, we're very proud of you, David. And I think, Amazing. and I think, I think every Portuguese person out there should know about you because you have done amazing things um, and you're Portuguese and we're so proud of you. And like Angela said, you have people. So when I do we, have people. You do. So when we say your people will talk to my people, well, I, we have no people, but you have people. <laughs> <laughs> so Davis, tell us a little bit about, gosh, how you got started and what when did you know that you were going to go down the culinary path? Sure. Well, it's it's an interesting story. And the reason why it's interesting is I grew up in a very Portuguese area, Fall River, Massachusetts, which is not too far away from Maria. Yes, that's and, right. And uh, I... Exactly, for rive. For rive. For rive. For rive. And I, I despised being Portuguese when I was young. Despised it. We, a lot of the Portuguese back then, weren't treated very well. Uh, yeah. They were coming Pretty over, cool. arriving, newly arrived from the Azores, almost all from the Azores, and and we weren't treated well. We were kind of on the bottom economic rung of many uh, many situations and. A lot, of, a lot of Portuguese back then were treated very poorly by the community of other people, uh, people who've been here before or longer. And I picked that up. I could sense that. And I felt that there was something wrong, inherently wrong, just by being Portuguese. So from a very early age, I mean, we're talking five and six years old, I wanted to be blonde hair and blue-eyed and have a last <laughs> name of, yeah. of Stevens. I wanted Samantha Stevens, on a bewitch, to adopt me and... I went to the Von Trapp children. I went to be their brother, their long-lost brother. And so I, I, I kind of wove in and out of Portuguese food. Um, I had stuff that I, I enjoyed that my family made, but I really wanted to be American. And, of course, it didn't dawn on me that I was American. I didn't understand that I was American. I thought I was Portuguese. I didn't realize you could be Portuguese-American. Yeah. 
And then it was when my grandmother died um, in 1992. I was 32 years old. And it was then when I realized a lot of the dishes that she made disappeared from our family's table because mm. my grandmother had been making them for 40 or 50 years, 60 years, and um, even longer, actually. And so no one made them. And my mom, my mom had her aversions, but my grandmother had been making them for decades and decades. My mom didn't make them. So right. they, they, her versions disappeared. And then I became very frightened that I was going to lose whatever little vestige of Portuguese-ness I had to, my, to me and to my family. I was going to lose that. Uh, and I became concerned that what happens if my mom passes and I, I lose what is so identified with her and my aunts. And so that's what was the impetus for me to ask my mother. Uh, I asked my mother for the very first recipe, uh, okay, which was, was her... It was uh, her Portuguese baked beans. Um, so it was ah. a, a, a version of feijão com tomatada. It was her version, and of course she had hot dogs in it because we're from Massachusetts, and of course Frank and beans. <laughs> so it had chorizo and it had hot dogs and bacon, but it was her version. And um, they weren't sweet with molasses or brown sugar. They were the Portuguese version. Yeah, and, interesting. And I couldn't make them. I mean, they, the recipe she gave me was not even a recipe it was nothing was correct my mother doesn't own measuring cups doesn't own scales doesn't <laughs> own uh, measuring spoons nothing she's like you know just put a handful of this and a handful of that and you know, my hand is four times the size of hers yeah it never came out but that started me on this mission or this this passion to learn to protect and to save our That's family's perfect. food yeah there was no need. I wasn't looking for a career. I had a career in advertising. I had done Bill Clinton's advertising. I had uh, done wow. IKEA. When IKEA came to America, I was on the, the team that launched the IKEA campaign, uh, you know, uh, Chrysler. Mm -hmm. I, I'd worked on many campaigns um, throughout the years, so I wasn't interested in a new, cre new career. But I wanted to share with people this idea of yeah. sort of uh, protecting and saving your family's recipes. And I did it by videotaping my mother cooking. Mm -hmm. Oh, did was, you? I never yeah. knew that. I love and this was, story. I remember the story when we first met, David. Yeah, and it was the videotaping of my mother making, it could have been the Feijon, I'm not sure, or Sobot the Cove, that she started telling me family stories, stories that either I didn't listen to and pay attention to or I never had heard before. Right. And so suddenly I went, oh, my God, I have these these tapes and these stories, and I thought this is a really wonderful way for anyone of any culture or heritage mm -hmm. uh, or nationality to be able to get stories. So then I wrote an article, and I submitted it to different, different newspapers, New York Times, L.A. Times, and the Chicago Sun-Times for some reason. I don't know why I chose them. And the New York Times and the L.A. Times were like, they didn't even write back. But the Sun-Times was interested, and it appeared. And once that happened, the magic of seeing my name in print along with food, is kind of what launched the food writing career. Wow. That's it's kind of light bulb went off. Yeah. Now, what's funny is, is David and I have met and mm -hmm. over coffee, and we, uh, we had a, a wonderful meeting and getting to know each other. And, and I'm going to say the same thing I said to you then, and that is, you know, it, it, sometimes it takes us a little bit long to get there, to embrace who we are. But what matters is that you reach that time and you did reach that time and you have embraced who you are. Yeah. And and even though, yes, we're American and some 
parts of us, uh, you know, Portuguese American or, but inside your DNA, you are Portuguese. And, and that is something that you'll always be no matter what. And, uh, and you carry all of that uh, with you. And that comes from your grandmother and your mother, and and you'll carry it through the rest of your life. That is who you are, and that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful, you know. There, there's a lot of people who all their life they refuse to be who they are, and I find that very sad. But you came to that, and that's that's a wonderful thing. And that's telling a lot of our listeners out there who say, "Oh yeah, I'm Portuguese, but I'm you know fourth generation, so I'm more American than Portuguese." Well, you're not. You know, you're it's it's still in there, and you have to be proud of who you are. You do, um, that's what the embracing of that. Because it was very funny. Because when I I came to New York in 1984, and people, I, sometimes it would get around to heritage. You know, what's your nationality? What's your background? I would say Portuguese, and people are like, oh, Portuguese, that's so exotic. And I'm like, <laughs> exotic. And then they'd say, the "Where is that?" I knew growing up was had a last name with a vowel. We all were Portuguese. That's not exotic. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very interesting to see my culture, our culture, to be cast in the role of the, an exotic culture, something that was unusual for a lot of other people. And then you start slowly hearing, "Oh, I went to Lisbon," or "I went to not so much the Azores, the people that I was meeting, but they were saying, "I right. went to Lisbon," or "I went to the south of uh, Portugal to the Algarve." Uh, or the menu. It's such a beautiful country. The food is very interesting, very different. And that's when I started getting an appreciation that was outside of my family. It wasn't pride that came just from finally admitting and, and embracing my culture inside my family. It was pride and embracing my culture from an external source, too, which was fascinating. Very interesting. Now, where did your family come from, David? My father's family comes from Maya. Uh, in the north part of San Miguel, and my mother's family came from uh, Punta de la Gava, my grandfather, and my grandmother came from uh, Jabo de Pesh. Jabo de Pesh, eh? I think. Jabarinha? Jabarinha, okay, it's in the Jabo de Pesh. Yeah. Yes, it's That's a big fishing my, community. My, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, my grand, maternal grandfather came from my uh, from Punta de la Gava and my mother and father, my grandmother and my grandfather on my father's side both came from Maya. Interesting. Now you know what what's in Maya, don't you? Um, it's Goriana tea. Shagoriana, yes, which my yes. father worked at, which my grandmother worked at, and which one aunt worked at. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. it's now in its seventh generation of uh, the same family owning it now. Yes, it's I amazing. was just there last year uh, in. When I went on a National Geographic tour, I was a guide of the Azores uh, for the oh, National Geographic. That's company. cool. Yeah, and one of the first day we were in uh, San Miguel, and we went up to Chagoriana. Beautiful. Yeah. So we have a few questions for you, David. Sure. So you talked about the first dish that you cooked, which was the the feijão. Yes. What's your first food memory? The first food memory I have, I don't know. Which is the first? So I'll tell you both. One was refusing to eat uh, <laughs> soap at the cove. Refusing to eat our soap at the, soap at the cove is the way my yeah. family pronounced it. Refusing to eat it. But the other memory that I have is my grandmother, my mother's mother, Vavo Costa, taking a chair. Remember the old chrome leg chairs that had the patent leather yeah. uh, seat? 
in the back, dragging that to the stove backwards, and then putting one of my grandfather's work shirts on me backwards and buttoning it in the back and rolling up my sleeves and stirring whatever was in the panala. Oh, rice, <laughs> that's so you know, sweet. It could be onions, it could be soup, whatever it was, and she and I working I always say, you know, shoulder to bosom together on uh, yeah. there. And every once in a while, her kind of gathering me up and like kissing me on the top of the head and smelling mm-hmm. her Jeanette perfume. <laughs> and that's really, I think that's, that, either one of those are my first. I'm not sure which is the exact first, but they're very young. They're beautiful. You certainly mm-hmm. have wonderful, the way you talk about your your grandmother, it sounds like she was a wonderful person. You had a really special relationship with her. I did. I did. My mom and I had a relationship because I'm working on a memoir right now. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of this stuff is very fresh, having spent so much time writing about it, writing it. But my mom and I, our relationship was about eating. Um, my mom and I uh, ate together all the time, a lot of times secretively, um, because my mom was overweight. So we would sneak food when my dad wasn't there. Um, so, and I had the same relationship with my godmother, my Dina. Instead of Madrina, I called her Dina. Um, <laughs> and she was half Portuguese, half French. And it was another eating relationship there, too. Hers was always stuffing me with French stuffing and other foods <laughs> that she made. But my grandmother's relationship, uh, the relationship I had with my grandmother, ours was based on cooking. I don't remember cooking with my mother. I remember eating with her and eating with my godmother. Mm-hmm. I remember cooking with my grandmother. Interesting. Yeah, That's we've funny. we've we've talked about that on the podcast before where from a very very early age bringing your children in to the kitchen and showing them how to do things even if they're not really helping they're just sort of there and they yeah. they have, you know, your hand on their hand on your hand while you're stirring or whatever, but it's just exposing them to that experience and um helping them to get interested in cooking and it can be Portuguese cooking could be any kind of anything yes but it's uh, very important those memories because they you know once those memories are seeded they will sprout for the rest of that person's life mm -hmm, and that's right whether that person becomes a cook a chef uh, a home cook or just someone who appreciates food they'll always be there and you only have a certain amount of time with a child to be right. able to seed those memories. Um, after that, they want to be on their own. They want to do things with their friends. And I was fortunate to have been raised. I never had a babysitter. That's something that a lot of people don't understand. But when you grow up in a Portuguese <laughs> home, you don't have babysitters. You don't have babysitters. Because <laughs> you have aunts and cousins and That's grandmothers right. and other, you know, uh, male cousins. Everyone will look after you, but you never That's had babysitters. Right. So I had three women who raised me. Uh, my godmother and grandmother were on the first floor in two different apartments. We were on the second floor. And we were con- I was constantly around them. And that's where so much of this appreciation came from. Yeah. Now you're saying about being, um, I just made me think of this. I, um, I used to babysit my great niece. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm much older than all of you. And I have. No, you're not. I'm older than a, all three of you. Both no, of you. You're, don't, no, you're not. I'm older than you, David. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> and uh, so I have my niece, Anne, who um, I, she, once she had her baby, I took my Fridays off to babysit her because it's, you're right. Everyone took turns with taking care of her. And that was my sister Adeline, which was her grandmother and my sister Isabel, which is her, also her other aunt. And then myself. And I had Emma with me every Friday for, oh, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And 
we would always do something together, whether it was painting or music. And I think I did more with her than I actually did with my own children, which is kind of because you have you're able to do that. You're able because you have more time. And one of the things we always did together is we always baked together. Mm -hmm. And so because and that's the memories that I have also growing up is baking with my grandmother but my sister is a horrible baker so her <laughs> so I'm thinking where is she going to get the memory of, of baking it's going to be from me so do you know she just turned I had a birthday party this weekend and she just turned nine and one of the first things she said is Tia when are we baking again together again that's oh that's sweet important. that's important and, it's so freaking important. Mm-hmm. And I turned to my husband and I'm like, oh, my God, it's like it's still in her and her baking is with Tia, you know, yeah. and uh, and she loves to bake. And it's like, when are we baking it together again? You know, yeah. so well, it's in her. It's in yeah. her. Well, especially yeah. for the um, as the generations continue. So, you know, the cool thing about this podcast is that uh, Marie and I are are very different generations, right? Not only are we from different parts of the country here, right. but I'm third generation Portuguese. And so a lot of what you guys are talking about, I actually didn't experience as growing up as a third generation Portuguese. There was family around and everything, but I did go to a daycare and you know, my grandmother baby- babysat us every now and then. And, and we really had to, to make an effort to say, grandma, show us how to cook this because we don't know how to cook it. And Really? And, yeah. Yeah. And so I love hearing how uh, with every cook and chef that we've talked to or, and anybody that's written a book, it's always about the preservation. And I love Absolutely. that because, yeah. yeah, I mean, if I could, I would take all of my grandmother's recipes and, and get them into a book and even if it's just, you know, for, for our family only, but it's so important to maintain because I, I always love that story, David, that you tell where, you know, like you said, your hand is four times bigger than your mom. So a handful, (laughs) your handful of something is a lot different than her handful. So absolutely. And that's Maria, that's what you did with your book. You took your family's recipes. That's right. And, and and that's it. That's exactly it. And my thought was it was just going to be for my family. Yes. I mean, who knew? I mean, And the thing is, that's what's interesting is that our culture is, and like in any kind of a, I don't want to say closed culture, but a close culture, not closed, but close culture. uh, It's the same thing. You were doing this for your family because you wanted to preserve it. And I'm sure that you've heard, and I I know I certainly have heard, I don't have a recipe for such and such. My grandmother or my aunt or my mother used to make this. And some of the things we don't have, and we didn't. We, do, we don't have certain dishes in my family's heritage because my family just didn't, either didn't like it or didn't make it or didn't have the money to be able to make it. Right. But, you know, there are certain things that are so common amongst all of us. I mean, Bakulia Gomchitsa, I mean, I, there's not one Portuguese person I know who hasn't at least been somewhat <laughs> affected by it. I, I think that is truly the national dish. <laughs> yeah. I, you know? I, I really do, David. Yeah, we've all, we've all had that, and it all... It all means something. And I think one of the interesting things that I've come across ever since I really embraced my heritage and my culture is the, um, the sort of what I call sort of this bigotry in a certain sense. And, and I mean this with, all, with, with great humor by saying this, is that when I, I publish a recipe or in my book I have some recipes, let's say masa sovada, and yep. I'll get someone write me there. That's not masa sovada. I, I know. That's oh not my how God, my mother David. made it. That's not masa sovada. <laughs> and I'm like, well. You're Sorry, so kiddo. Right. That's how my grandmother made it. Yes, you are. You've hit it 
on the nose on that one. Yeah. It's yeah. constant. It's a yeah. constant struggle on that. And it's, and I even, and you're right, it's my family recipes. Exactly. These are not your family recipes. Exactly. These are my family recipes. And this is how my family made it. And you're absolutely right. And I've had people say, oh, and the other big debate is the soup at Kirsch. Yeah. You're absolutely, yeah. On, on that, that's another one where I'll, I'll almost put a disclaimer on it before I post the recipe. And yeah. that'll be like, this is how my family makes it. But, you know, you some people do add lentils. Some people do add carrots. Some people do. It, it's some almost people like add pasta. Elbow yes. Macaroni. Yes. The yes. influence of the Italians. And Exa- being it, told it, that's not it. That's not that's not so but the cove right. that my family had. I'm like, of course, it's not because you're not my family. Right. Um, and, and sometimes it was whatever was in the pantry. Exactly. My grandmother had this dish. Um, I, I forgot what she used to call it. Something the panella, not soap with the panella, but it was, it was sopa this dish that she. I'm sorry. Soap with the pedra. No, not soap with the pedra. We never had that. That's mainland. But mm-hmm. what my grandmother had was this pot on the stove that she, you know, she had a little bit of beef left. She would throw it in. But it is soap with the panella. Uh, a little bit of beef. She would throw it in. We have chicken the next day. Well, she would throw it in. And the next day, in the three days later, you have this mixture of melange of meats and vegetables, and you'd eat it. And then some, some, sometimes she'd throw in extra rice. It was whatever was left over, she threw in. So, you know, I grew up with this, this sort of Frankenstein food sometimes because <laughs> n- nothing was ever wasted in our home. Right. Nothing was ever now, wasted. It, that's funny because with you, they put it all in a pot. With my mom and my grandmother, they would make tortish. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what she would do. So the leftover, you know, from the big panala of the cuisines mm. that she would make on a Sunday throughout the week, it would be the meat and the chopped up potatoes or the carrots and with egg. And then it would be tortas. Yeah. So yeah. but she would never put it back into creating a new soup. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Um, and every family, you know, is different. And, and how how you use up scraps, you know, and right. the thing that's interesting yeah. That I remember my father, and I don't know if it's by choice or just because of frugality, but my father would go out to work on a very, very cold morning. I think he'd leave about 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. And if I were up, I, many times I would see him eating soap at the cove that was left over from the day before. That was his breakfast. Because yeah. I don't think either he wanted to waste it or he wanted something very warm and he didn't want to eat oatmeal. He didn't grow up eating oatmeal. Right. And so we eat... We eat what we can. Well, I grew up. We ate what we could when we could. Now, just nothing do, was ever wasted. It just, do you ever remember seeing your dad having super late? No, no, never had that. He never and had that. It, which was the, it's something you don't forget seeing. And that is day old bread mm-hmm. soaked in milk, hot yeah. milk. No, yeah. I, I never super remember seeing Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't something that I remember anyone in our family I have having. A cousin. We have cousins in Lisbon, and I went to stay with them, and I, uh, the father did that. But he actually used chocolate milk instead of just plain milk. Uh-huh. And, uh, I remember thinking it was quite an odd thing, but, you know. Yeah. Now, see, this is something. You actually it's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, is my dad would have that growing up. Uh, back in St. Michael, he would have that because, again, y- your milk was plentiful because right. you had, you know, all of that. And you never you had old 
day old bread or whatever. The the bread there would uh, get hard very quickly. I yeah. think. I think more Was so it, than here. Was it broa? Were they eating mostly broa? Yes, pandemic, yeah. pandemic, yeah. yeah. And then it would be the the that. So for him here to have that would be something where it was his food memory right. where he, you know what I mean? So we would see that, but we wouldn't eat it. My mom would not make it for us, but yeah. I would see my dad having that. So yeah. David, you talked, uh, you talked about not wasting anything. And one of the recipes in your book that I love, because it's, it's all about like the modern cuisine of Portugal, right? And that it's, you know, it's actually yes, three. It's the cuisine that was happening when I was writing the book, which was 2000. 2007, 2008, what I was finding there, because I was finding it that, you know, it's so funny. The reason why I wanted to do the book in part is that the people who came to America, a lot of them didn't go back. I, many, many families no. did. My family never did. My mom and dad never went back. But a lot of times when they came over, that's when their food froze. They left yeah. at a certain time, and yeah. that's the food that they had. And yeah. But the thing is, back home, there were a lot of innovations. And so I was very curious to see what was happening back home, what new foods were being introduced, what new foods were being explored and discovered. So that's one third of the book. The other third of the book are classics, and the other mm -hmm. third are my family recipes. Mm. And that's kind of the, the ground that I covered. And Yes, and you have one a recipe in there with the potato skin curls yeah which i loved because it was kind of that nod to yes this is a modern thing but it's a nod to not wasting anything which is a very portuguese thing very um, very portuguese thing. and i'll tell so, you i had it at a very fine restaurant those port those uh potato curls because what they do is they're the peelings of potatoes whenever they were making anything and they realized that what they could do is just take those potato curls potato peelings and then deep fry them in an herb oil and then serve them with fried herbs on top. Well, and heck, anything deep fried is delicious. Isn't exactly. It? <laughs> but I love the fact that nothing was ever wasted. Yeah. You know, and another thing that I think is wonderful about our culture is, uh, and I don't think, I don't know if everyone has the same experience, but growing up and still to this day, uh, my father makes his own wine. Yeah. My yes. father makes also yep. his own yep. fermented yep. pepper paste. Yep. My Absolutely. aunt makes chorizo with my father's wine and his pepper paste. My mother will make dishes with the chorizo from my aunt that contains my father's pepper paste and wine. <laughs> and everybody contributes something to ingredients that are then used in dishes. And Absolutely. I think that's amazing to be able to make so many of your own staples. Yumasa de pimenta, yumasa yep. de pimentão. Uh, I think that's really wonderful and i it's something that i i'm so glad and i'm so grateful that i grew up experiencing yeah and you have your own garden right a, a pretty fantastic garden if it's, I... just, it's not like huge but it's definitely second i mean lord knows we had more kale last year and tomatoes <laughs> and my father's potatoes which was great because my father actually gave me his potatoes which he had been they were like the grandchildren of the of his latest crop and I was able to get a crop out of them, too. So it was really neat to be able to dig up the potatoes that had been in my family for a couple of years, which was nice. Oh, that's wonderful. And you're continuing it. Yeah. Yes. yes. And did you learn to garden from your grandmother, your mother? From my father. Just... Oh, and really? It, yeah. Same as Maria. That's so funny. Yeah, from my same. Dad. <laughs> and the interesting thing is growing up again, like I said, growing up, I, did, I was not interested in anything Portuguese. The idea of gardening, that was for, that was for people you know, who like manual labor. I didn't like manual labor. And uh, <laughs> so I wasn't about to learn how to garden. And I just, 
I must have gotten something through osmosis by having watched my father. And right. my father, they did ship me off to a farm up the street for three summers because I was morose and depressed. And so they thought some hard work and being outside was going to help me. And while I hated every minute of it, I'm really glad I did because I learned about so many different kinds of vegetables. And I made mm -hmm. some friends there and I became very friendly with the farmer and his wife. Uh, that's, it was through my dad sending me off to the farm. When I say send off, it's like two miles up the street. And I <laughs> rode my bike and came back, but it felt like Siberia for me. Uh, but I would watch my dad, you know, planting potatoes and, and tomatoes and corn and strawberries. And I mean, one of my earliest memories, which I write about in my book, is uh, the book that's coming out, is lying in the strawberry patch my dad had uh, dug in the back of our house in Fall River, which the house no longer exists. It was knocked down for Route 79 and a strawberry patch and just lying there in the sun on the dirt eating strawberries, just loving <laughs> being in there. Um, and so I just, all this stuff, I kind of watched my dad. And so now what's nice is like last year, I just kept on sending him all of these photographs I took with my phone and saying, is this right? Should I do this? Should I do that? He couldn't believe how big some of the plants were growing. He just oh, couldn't get over. And we don't use any, it's all organic. We use no fertilizer or anything. And you he have your own compost going? Own compost going. All Good the soil going. is organic. It's been amended with organic um, fertilizer, you know, manure and things that have been cured. Nice. And he was very, uh, he was very surprised. Now, now let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Do you have the traditional grape arbor? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I think that'll be next, David. <laughs> that might be next. I think actually the next thing for me is somehow getting around the laws of our town to build a little smokehouse. Ooh, I, nice. I want to have... Smoke your city. sausage. Yeah. Yes. My aunt has her behemoth in her backyard, and she is... I think she is either has just done her last batch or is going to do her last batch. She's in her late, late 70s, um, could be early 80s now. And, oh, God I, bless her. I want my smokehouse because I have a little Bradley smoker, but, yep. you know, we can only do so many links at once. I mean, she'll do 50 pounds of sausage all at once. And oh, yeah. That's wow. the thing that I'd like to do next. Well, I'm very lucky that here I can go to a sausage maker and actually have them smoke it for me, which okay. is a great thing because obviously I'm, you know, we've got a few sausage companies that are based out of New Bedford and Dartmouth. Right. But to have a smokehouse would be amazing, David. It would be really cool. Yes, it would. Now, one of the things that I have from my father's garden, because like Angela said, I... I, when my mom would kick me out of the kitchen because, you know, that galley kitchen didn't have room for me, right. I would be outside with my dad uh, gardening. So I, uh, every time I'm out doing any planting, it's, it's with my dad. I'm, my dad is with me, absolutely. Yeah. And so I was able to get his raspberry bushes from the garden, my, my mom and dad's garden. And uh, so I was able to dig them up, some of them up, and replant them here at my home. So I have these beautiful raspberry bushes, and it's the ones with no thorns, oh, um, because my mom refused to have anything with thorns <laughs> like that. I don't blame her. 
<laughs> but I have that. So next time you come down and visit your family, you're going to take a seedling of mine. So you can have some oh, black raspberries the next how time. How great that would be. We have and, no fruit bushes here. Yes, you need to have that. So the next yeah. time you're down, you need to do that. We'll make great. sure uh, you get some because you need to have that. That's yeah. a given. Um, even before your grape arbor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my, you know, my family, the, the first thing my dad built was, uh, in the backyard, was a grape arbor. Absolutely. And it was three, it was three grapevines, and it was really more for shade. Yes. Uh, he, he wasn't yes. making any wine from it. And I remember yeah. we started out with one little, one little picnic table, that, which then became two picnic tables. And then as the family grew and more and more and more cousins and more people were coming over from Portugal, the next thing you know, we'd have three and all kids everywhere and all squeezed on this and then he took the arbor down because then he wanted to plant grapevines so he had a whole acre of grapevines um, oh wow nice. and he had that for years and years and uh, only recently has uh, it gone down to very very little and the garden's just a couple of rows of something because my dad's 80 i think 84 now oh how wonderful so he doesn't do as much but mm -hmm. uh, he still Loves to putter around the house. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful thing, and that's important. That really is yeah, to is. keep them going. And it's it, working outside for my dad was the big thing for him. He always that's how he he spent his time and puttering around and all that. But yeah, uh, yeah it's wonderful so, memories. So David, you talked about how you know your dad makes the wine, and then the wine is used in the ling shurisu, and so you've kind of got us all mixed together. So what is a typical meal look like with your family, whether it's for a holiday or you're just all getting together maybe for Sunday dinner or a birthday? Well, you know, it's interesting because my mom is late, late 70s, and my dad has uh, some food restrictions. Now, he doesn't eat very fatty meats at all. He's very, very lean. My dad only eats two meals a day now. Uh, so they really have moved away from a lot of that because by a certain point in my dad's life, it was giving him a lot of indigestion, a lot of heartburn, oh, very okay. spicy. So they've moved away from that um, somewhat. But when I go home, my mom will still make carne asada. Um, we're going home for Easter, so she's going to make her baked beans, mm. uh, which I love. And sometimes it will be, uh, she makes the most extraordinary, extraordinary stuffed cohogs. You know, which of Stuffed cohogs. Yeah, Interesting. Which huh. is not something from the Azores. It's nope. very much an American thing. But, of course, the stuffed cohogs began with the Portuguese. They, uh, they would add shitty soup to it, and they would add the clams. And she does these amazing, amazing stuffed cohogs. And nice. so I will sometimes help her do that, and we'll have that. Uh, and, and other times it will be just chicken with rice soup. Um, mm -hmm. She does my dad. She does make my dad soap with the cove, which you know I eat. It's not. It's never been my favorite. I have to say, never been my favorite because the kale is not something that I. I don't like it stewed. I'll eat it like in a salad or something, but stewed is a little slimy and slippery. And <laughs> oh no! Not my thing. I know. I know. It's a national <laughs> national vegetable, and I'm not a big fan of it. But um, uh, you know, so it's 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 that kind of stuff. In the old days, my gosh, it would be my mother would make you know, carne asada, and she would make chicken, and she'd yes. have all of her roasted potatoes, and there would be shiris that had been um, roasted and some that's been boiled and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, my graduation, I remember we had 16, I think 16 dishes oh, that my wow. mother had made, uh, all kinds of stuff. She'd been 
cooking for weeks and freezing things. And it was, it was so large, we had to have it in the garage. That's another thing, too, people don't understand. The Portuguese, we eat in our garage. You know, when you have a family that's that big, you eat in the garage on nice summer days. And uh, I grew up eating in garage, garages in Boston and in Fall River. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we take, we've had this discussion before, Angela and I, that there can be any American holiday, but the Portuguese kind of take it and embrace it sometimes, but make it Portuguese. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And look at some of the foods that we've created. Taking American foods are foods that are, that are, uh, hyphenate foods, pizza, you know, Italian American. Uh, in America, what do we do? We have Shirisu pizza. That's yep. right. You know, which is yep. incredible. I mean, the, the, what, yes. some of the ones they have up near my, uh, where I live, my family live is amazing. And then you have the, the meat, um, you know, the meat rolls or the, or the yes. meat pies. Yes. There's this yes. one, Hartley Meat Pies is in Fall River, and I believe they've got a Shirisu meat pie. Yes, they which do. Which is amazing, right? And yes, it's the old do. classic meat pies from England. Yeah. And we put our stamp on it. And that's what I love about that is that people are kind of surprised to see that we are very adaptable. And if we see something we like, we just appropriate it and make it our own. Yeah. So you said you, you're not a big fan of kale, stewed kale anyway. Yeah. Uh, and that soup de couve isn't your favorite dish. Do you have a favorite Portuguese dish? You know, yeah, it's, it's pork and clams. I just I can eat pork and clams every day. I really? Pork and clams. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> I love it. 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 And when I go to Portugal, I have it all the time. And uh, even more so than frango na pucara or, or um, piri piri chicken, even more mm-hmm. than any of that, I love that. Um, mm-hmm. More than cozido. Mm-hmm. Pork and clams. Do you make it? Do you make I it? I do make it. There's a recipe in my cookbook. And my family never made it. It's very much a mainland dish. Yes, uh, yes. I'm sure you both know some of the My family didn't really make it, and I never had it till I went to Portugal. And the recipe in my book is different than the one in Portugal. It's a, it's more, it's more a little brothy um, versus what they do in Portugal. They just take these chunks of pork and deep fry them and deep fry the potatoes, and they serve it along, as you know, with the pickled right. carrots and the pickled onions and, and whatever vegetables on the that side. That juice is just to die for. It, it is, and the thing is, they can do that, and they can get away with it because their pork has not been bred to be so lean like ours has. So mm. you can take a nice chunk of pork and fry it up, and it's like delicious, and it's got nice, it's marbled nicely with fat. You can't do mm. take loin here, and it's just so incredibly dry. So to do that, in order to combat that, I use um, pork shoulder and have it yes. stewed a bit, and yes. and then when the the clams open up and they spill their juices yeah. it just becomes salty and it's <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know I, yeah, I, that I, sounds we, amazing <laughs> every time we do one of these podcasts i feel like i need yeah, to we're hungry hang we're up hungry. and go cook a meal right now because yeah, right. absolutely just talk absolutely. about so many now, good things now let me let me ask you this i'm just going to put this out here uh you know how we american or oh, we portuguese everything mm-hmm. uh have you had have you tried when you were in saint michael mm-hmm. a hot dog a Portuguese hot dog. Uh, I can't say that I have. Oh my God, David, you have to. The what next did we do time. To me? Oh my God. Okay, so uh, the last time I was there, I was there this past November, and I was in Punta Delgada, and uh, we were there to see a show. There was a show going on, so my family took me there to see it, and then we got out. It was around one o'clock in the morning, 
And as we were leaving, I see this outside, um, this gentleman, like a, almost like a, a little food thing going on. But I didn't know what, what exactly it was. It was just a long line of people like waiting to, to get something. And so I turned to my family and I said, what is that? And they said, oh, it's uh, your hot dogs. They, the guy you know, makes hot dogs here. And those are the people all coming out from the clubs and the parties and all that stuff. And they're having their hot dogs. And so I went, hot dogs in here? No way. You know, like <clears throat> you can't have hot dogs here. And they're like, oh, yeah. And it's better than your American hot dogs. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh, this is a throwdown now. This is a throw. I'm like, there is no way it can be any good as uh, American hot dogs. Well, David, I have to tell you, they're better. Really? How are they made? Yes. The toppings. Okay. So well, I get there. We now are in line to get hot dogs because I'm saying there is no way, no how it can be better. Right. I get to the, the, the gentleman. His name is Mauricio. So there are a couple of different vendors that make it, but Mauricio is the one who does it the best. So we get there and my family turns to him and says, she's from the United States. And she says, you can't make good hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, the man is like, what? And everyone's like, oh, you know, you're going to show her all. You're going to tell her. So he's like, okay, I'm going to make one especially for you. And I'm like, okay. So he grills the hot dogs and he heats the, the bread on this grill. And then he takes the, the, the heated bun, puts the hot dog on there, and he puts mayo on the side of the bun. Okay. Then he puts one side ketchup, the other side mustard. Then he puts uh, white onions, um, green olives, chopped up green olives. Mm -hmm. Then he puts like a coleslaw, but it's not with mayo. It's just like a dry uh, coleslaw, uh, shredded carrots and uh, cabbage on top. And he puts a sauce. I don't know what that sauce was on top of it. And then... You know how we have the little straw uh, fried potatoes, mm-hmm. potato chips? Yeah. He takes a handful of that and puts that on top. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've got to hold it with two hands. There's no way you can even hold that with one. Lean over, and spread your legs so you don't spill over. You got it. Because yeah. as I took that bite, everything like just fell. It was so good. Now, were the potatoes the potato sticks from the can, or did he actually fry them himself? I think he got them from a bag. Okay, because one of the things I noticed was that they're very popular there, and I think that they come from Buckley Albarage, where people, you know, fry their own potato sticks, potato uh, thins, but I think that a lot of people just reverted to the can, because when I was in uh, there, I saw a lot of people doing that with other things, too, putting those sticks on so many uh, potato sticks on so many different dishes. And I'm like, this is wild. We eat these yeah. out of a can and they put yeah. them on food. That's interesting. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that the, the, the hot dog was actually a mini uh, shirisu. I thought that's. No, it wasn't. It was a meat sausage. It was, wow. it was a hot dog. So yeah. David, so you have to, you have to, have to. When I go back on. And it has to be Mauricio's. Okay. I will <laughs> do that. And that was in Puta de la Gava? It was in Puerto Delgado, yep. Well, they've, they've been doing that for a while, So, because I remember being in Lisbon in, let's see, early 2000s, mm-hmm. down at the Dokaj, 
Mm-hmm. After, after you know, kind of like you said, everybody's getting out of the club at two, three in the morning, and they have the little hot dog cart there, and same, same toppings. And this guy had shredded carrots. You had, he had corn that he put on top of it. It's all sorts of stuff. It's really, really good. You'd never expect those kinds of toppings to be on a hot dog, but yeah. it works. It works. Yeah, speaking of corn and, and the vegetables, you were talking on top of the hot dogs. Do you guys hear this? I hear so many people say, "You Portuguese don't eat that many vegetables. You don't have vegetables," and I'm like. Yes, we did. Right. But the thing is, in my family, we didn't. But we did. But they all were in our soups. That's right. That's true. We don't have like, oh, you have lovely green beans on the side of your plate. No, we deep fry our green beans. uh, (laughs) But yeah, we have tons of vegetables in our soups. And so I, I, I had to really explain to people when they'd say, well, I went there and I tried to get a salad and I just got this. You know, uh, it's green lettuce. and red tomatoes and lettuce. That's it. And, and maybe an vinegar. onion. And, an and onion I on. said, you know, and they said, why the red and green? And I actually had to ask someone from um, Lisbon. I said, why the red and green? And she said, you know, we like the sweet and the sour. We just like that flavor. And, and I thought, that's interesting. I <laughs> said, if you want to get vegetables, order your soup. Right. Soup with the pedra or, or, or yeah. anything. Then you're going to get your vegetables, but you're not going to find them on the side of a plate for the most part. It's or very absolutely right. Yeah. Or, or English, uh, an English thing, too. You don't have your sides. And, uh, or I find, have. like, if you have, and again, I don't know if this is an Azorian, because I'm half Azorian, half mainland, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing, I my in-laws are, are from Lisbon, and what they eat very often is just boiled fish, mm-hmm. boiled greens, boiled potatoes, and then a boiled egg on top. You mix it all together and little right. azeite vinagre and garlic and salsa, whatever is really good. But... Yeah, those greens, whether it's kov, whether it's grilj, whether it's uh, broccoli, that's one time that I can remember where you have your fish, your greens, and your starch, and then you just kind of put but it all a together. Tip, a really typical good. lunch or dinner would always start with a soup. Always, always. Always. So you're right. Our vegetables was in our soup because, and we had it all the time, but it was always... It, it was part of our meal. You yeah. never had just your your meat and potatoes and rice like everybody says. You're all full of starches. Well, yeah. we wouldn't just have that. And it wouldn't be this huge plateful that you're now served when you go into a restaurant. It was half that size. But you always started with a soup. Always. And always, I, always. I love when I go to restaurants in Portugal with friends who are American or they were visiting when I was living in Portugal in living in Lisbon and I was doing week trips or day trips different places throughout the country to write the cookbook and then of course the Azores uh, but I would love it when friends would come we'd go out to dinner and they would order something and they would get they'd get fish or whatever it was rice and potatoes yep they're like rice and potatoes I said yeah we do both starches we we do not discriminate we like all our starches yes, yes. we like rice and potatoes and sometimes rice and potatoes on top of each other we really like yes. that um and that's very odd for some people. You go, you either have the rice or the potatoes. Right. And I said, no, we do them both. Yeah, we really so, do. So yeah. we're, we're coming up. I, I mean, we could go for another couple hours here, I think, but we are coming up on, on time. So I, wanted, I did want to ask one last question, and then we can wrap sure. it up. What, what was the most surprising thing for you when you were living in Lisbon or living in Portugal and, and exploring the different recipes and figuring out what to, to put in the book? What was the most surprising thing for you when it came to food? It's a very, very good question. I don't think that's ever been asked of me. Uh, I think, well, there was two things, I think. The, an eye-opener for me was 
when I discovered, and this was kind of that, that familial bigotry that I was talking about earlier, I was shocked that other people made the same food my family made, hmm. and, but they sometimes made it better. I was, I was <laughs> wait a minute, what? I had that sort of that bigotry myself. No, no, this is not how you make trishimsh. No, 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 no. This is how we make it. And I'm like, wow, this is really good. So I was surprised by some of the variations of what my family made uh, and what I grew up eating and what I had heard about so much also from my family. I think the other thing that I found, and I don't want to say it's surprising because I think that is the wrong word, but... I really adored was how welcoming people were to allow mm-hmm. me into their kitchens or into yeah, their homes. Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't really know who I was, but you know, it doesn't make a difference because someone you met someone and they're going to bring you right to this person or this woman or this man who cooked something and they don't even know each other very well. But the cousin of that one is the cousin yeah. of another one who yeah. works with this woman's husband who yeah. also <laughs> happened to have been in the, the army with this man. And now you're going to be able to see that woman. And, that and then you're was, friends for life. Yeah. Which is a wonderful thing. And I, one of the chefs that I met there, Ilda Vinagra, who has had an amazing, amazing impact on my cooking and on my book, um, who taught me so many things. And, one of the greatest things she taught me was something called milk mayonnaise, mayonnaise the late, which is um, not cooking. very well known, it's, but it's definitely around the border of uh, Spain and Portugal, where it's an emulsion of milk and olive oil, a little bit of garlic and white pepper, and it transforms so many things. And it was one of the things I was so fortunate enough when I came back, and it was in the book, and the book was published and did well, that people gravitated towards. So we had people discovering... Portuguese cuisine only because their kid has an allergy to eggs. So therefore they were looking for an egg-free Oh, how awesome is that? Mayonnaise. And it, it, quote unquote, it's not, it can't be officially called a mayonnaise because mayonnaise is an emulsion of egg and oil and and, and vinegar, uh, egg and oil and an acid. And this has got acid too with either, it's lemon juice, but there's no egg. And I was so honored and thrilled that people were discovering about, learning about Ilda, who now is in Brazil cooking. And there's an article on my website called The Mistress of the Alentejo and how this woman worked in two different restaurants and a catering kitchen all at once and was the chef to the consul, Portuguese consul in the Dakota in New York City and had (laughs) met Lauren Bacall and had met the guy who owned um, one one of the major restaurants in New York and... Oko, Yoko Ono, I mean, all of them. She knew them all because they wow. loved her cooking. And so she, it was an amazing impact. And meeting her and being led into her kitchen. And when I remember when I left, she wanted me to stay in her house because the only way I could learn about her, she said, was to do it the Portuguese way, which was to eat in her house and sleep in her house. <laughs> then I left. What did she have for me? She had a gift for me, like the Barcelos rooster. The rooster, and yes. My, and my mother and my father, she gave them both. Uh, lamb's wool slippers from the sheep, uh, the lamb and the sheep that were, were the sheep's, yeah. That's the gift she gave from my parents. She never met my parents, yeah. and she gave me gifts for them. That's what you call Portuguese That's, hospitality. That is and something that we're known for, which is something we can be very proud of, because everybody that I've ever talked to that has gone to Lisbon, or any part of Portugal, actually, is uh, they always talk about the Portuguese hospitality and how, how welcome they thought they felt. Yes. So, Very well, much. David, we have 
a thousand more questions for you. So we we're do. just going to we're going to have to have you on again. I would love to. I would love yes. to. Yes. That would be awesome. But thank you so, so much for your time. We know what a busy guy you are, uh, but this has been so fun and just amazing. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed it just as much as we have enjoyed talking to you. Yes, I agree. I agree. Thank you so much, David. You're a treasure. You really are, honey. Take care. All right. Bye-bye now. Thanks. Bye-bye. So how much do we love David? Oh my he's God, he's just, just so, awesome. He's so awesome. He's so cute. I mean, he's just, we love him. I mean, does I know. That, I, that, that's what happens when you just love the guests that you have on, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, it's one thing that I forgot to mention to him or while we were on the call is if you read the about section of his page, he has the story of Manny the Milkman and how his mother said, oh, you're the milkman's son. And he thought to himself at five years of age, how is Mr. Lawton, our milkman, uh, my father? And I was like, oh, my gosh, Lawton. You know, there's <laughs> Maria's dad or, or her father-in-law. Is, my father-in-law. Uh, is David's milkman. Anyway, I thought that was a funny little coincidence, you know? No, Ken Lawton was not a milkman. So. <laughs> he, but, plus, they lived in Rhode Island, so a whole okay. different state, a whole different state. <laughs> but, um, but if you go, I really encourage all of our listeners to go to his website because it is just packed with great recipes and not just Portuguese. So let's put the disclaimer out there. He's not just, yeah. doesn't just write about Portuguese stuff, but man, he's got some excellent recipes on there and his articles are funny he's a really funny writer he is he is and he's funny in person too and in, in, uh-huh. uh, in having conversations with him and we uh we did we had an uh, amazing time the um, we've we've met a couple of times and we did a book signing uh together too and he's just he's just great he's a very uh-huh. genuine person and yes. uh and he's and, so- yeah gracious he actually was the recipient of a palcus leadership award a few years ago in when we had the gala in connecticut wow and, uh, nice. and he was so gracious and down to earth and just was so touched by the the recognition from the community and we were really happy to be able to do that and uh, yeah he's a great guy and i'm, yep. I'm just i'm happy number one that we got him to come mm-hmm. on because I know, like you said in the beginning, you know, he's so busy. He's so busy with everything and, mm-hmm. and he's got people. I mean, he's got people. He's got people. He's going to take care of those people. I know. Uh, I aspire to have people someday. Yeah, we will too, honey. We will aspire to have people one day. <laughs> but in, in the meantime, he has them. He has the people. But so, and we had said, well, hopefully we won't take up too much of your time. And we thought maybe a half hour or yeah, maybe, you know. No. But we went all this time with him, which was so <laughs> awesome. And he wants to come back. So even, even better. So yep. so folks that are, are listening to this, you know, once again, his cookbook was called is called The New Portuguese Table by David Late. And he has a a what do you call it? A, a blog called uh Late's um oh my Culinaria. god. Culinaria. Culinaria. Yep. So it's just it's stuff for you to check out, to buy the books, support a fellow Portuguese yep. cookbook author. And uh, and I know now he's working on his memoir, and I can't wait till it comes out. Mm-hmm. And we get to see that, and we get to read that. Because he is a great writer, and I know it'll be a great success. Yep, it will. All right, folks. All right, well, then. this is it. This is another yeah. one down. Another one in the books. Another one in the books. Oh, you know, God. It is done. 
All right, honey. Well, you have a wonderful one. And to everyone listening out there, thank you for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Sending you all hugs and kisses. Thank you. And send us your feedback. We want to hear from you as well. Yeah, and we, we love getting that feedback. And we love getting that the notes we've been getting lately, which is we're listening to it now and we love it. So can't get any better than that. I know. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to our Portuguese Table podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do so on SoundCloud or iTunes. And all episodes can be found on our website at www.ourportuguesetable.com. You can also reach us at feedback at ourportuguesetable.com with comments, questions, or suggestions. Até a próxima! Até a próxima.